Unhinged No Hope, the podcast. Is this in English? Hello and welcome to No Hope, the podcast. I'm Tim Omiller. And I'm Scott Schneider. And, we're and we are a creative couple of, couple powerhouse. Of I was going to say, I was going to say a couple of hacks, a couple of hacks here, but full disclosure I, before this particular session, I had a little bit of a happy hour. Uh, so oh. I've had, so I've had in a, in a, re- a reversal of roles, I've had a drink before this. Yeah, I I have a glass of wine sitting here, but I have barely had a sip. Oh, the, the things are things are looking up. Absolutely. Um, um, we're musical theater writers, and we're going to talk about musicals and some other stuff. Stuff. Uh, some other stuff. Um, how how do you want how do you want to do this today? Well, I I mean. There's some. I, there's a couple of things that I wanted to rewind about. Great. Um, some of them are just the things that we still haven't found out, which is we don't. We still don't know what Gideon Glick left Spring Awakening no. to do. It would take a mere a cursory <laughs> glance through. No, the, that's not the, true. The interwebs. That's not true. I yeah, actually really? tried to find the article that I had read that said, and I can't find out where i read that so it was not it was not just a standard wikipedia moment apparently unless i unless i like you know just was unable to read the article um a second time or at least comprehend it um one thing that i was that i was uh, this is just a little aside and is sort of like when we were talking about annie and gypsy and i realized that there was a similar sort of there was something similar about them that I wanted to point out, which is sort of like this notion of, you know, whitewashing, which is making misery shiny, you know, not really telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that is something that those two productions share for me. And I was curious if that sort of. How so in Gypsy? Well, just what I was talking about that, you know, they're, they're in, they're in this struggle and yet at one of the moments where they are literally struggling the oh. most, they sing this like happy yeah. song and everything is great. You know, I've had a lot of fun laughing about that song since that episode. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it, it does now strike me as utterly absurd. <laughs> um, another question we can yeah. talk more about that. I feel like we can talk more about that, but um, another question that we, we did Ted Neely become a Bible thumper as a result of um, being in Jesus Christ superstar. Still don't still, still don't know the answer. answer to that that. I did a quick, <laughs> I did a quick look up on that one. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like he made that up, but I, I don't know. You I, have to I defend, really, defend I really, your, I mean, that came from some recess of your brain. So it did. I really some... feel like I saw Ted Neely, uh, like touring to hmm. churches and singing. Um, I mean, I feel like I saw a special about this at some point. So no? I, Any... I'm, I'm going to do the research for that. Anything is um, possible. I have done uh, zero research. I have nothing to rewind about. Rewind! Like, I, I, I don't know. 
Well, this is this is the biggest rewind for me, which is what I should have done before we spoke to Busy is have some of uh, a little bit of her writing that we could reference. And so uh, without her approval oh. or permission, by the way, I did yeah. not ask her if it was OK to do this. And I don't even know if it is. But her piece in The New Yorker, uh, which was called New Tony Award Categories, uh, I thought it might be fun to read I a couple had of these. this same thought we are of the same brain because i kept thinking you know what we should look up her fucking hilarious yeah her tony award and like uh, and probably ask her if we can but it seems like we're just gonna do it i think we're just gonna do it and i have i have i have several that i want to read i but i did go through the entire thing um I should have sent some of these to you so we could trade off. Like, but, so we could pick and choose yeah. and trade off. But I don't know. I'll just react. All right. All right. So the the first one, I'm pretty sure this is the first one, is Malest Theater Critic, which is a stitch. Uh, sweatiest Dance Belt. <laughs> <laughs> I love this one. Most Disappointing on Stage Nudity. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I mean, I went to see Hair. I saw Hair multiple times that last production, and it was not disappointing. I would agree with you on that, yes. But I, but I definitely have experienced that 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 moment of Super disappointing. Super quick aside: the second time I saw it, Will Swenson—that's his name, right? Who was like yes, super yes. attractive in that production, like stood up on like the you know the the, the arm cha- like my my armrests and was basically like straddling me, and my parents were sitting next to me, and I was oh just God. having a hard time. <laughs> were you like beet red and like oh also i'm erect? sure i was the color of uh the aperol spritz that's sitting right to the left of me oh yeah. that's a, that's amazing i mean the only <laughs> thing that would have been better obviously is if he was actually completely naked at oh, that point oh I, I mean i feel like my my head would have just spontaneously combusted Okay, so, so sorry. What's the so, next one? So again, these are these are all written by Busy Coy. Um, I want I want to make sure that people know that get we credit are not, here. We are not this. We're clever. not that funny. Uh, you're, um, if you're listening to this, you can attest to that. <laughs> uh, okay, a few more. Best ill-conceived revival of a racist mm-hmm. musical, <laughs> which, which is which is amazing. Yeah. Um, best musical based on a book, movie, or trending hashtag. Oh, okay. Best standing ovation for a famous actress just for being famous. God, we have all been in that theater before. Yeah. Best scathing review refashioned by press agents into a rave marquee quote. Oh, that's like Um, our our Dose the Musical repurposed Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Best usher who doesn't take shit from nobody and isn't about to start today. Oh, I mean, and there are there are some uh, there are definitely some characters in terms of Broadway shows. Oh God, like people. I mean, just like yes, I love the like ones amazing. that are just like power tripping and just like you know, just like barking and screaming at people. Um, um, best new play, bla- bravely. Best new play, bravely written and directed by white people about another culture. <laughs> 
That's okay, funny because it's that's, true. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> this one, this one is specifically for us because we've spoken about this in a way. Best direction by a woman. Just kidding. This category will be replaced by a montage from Annie Two, Hip Hop Don't Stop, <laughs> singing about tomorrow, featuring DJ Daddy Big Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> okay, I just have two more. Two more. Okay, this, okay. Uh, this one's pretty good. Oh, uh, this one's this one's brilliant, actually. Best new play by a genius woman playwright who has been working steadily in the industry for a billion years and should have had her Broadway debut decades ago. What took you people so freaking long? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this one, I mean this one actually was making me like sad. Uh-oh. Um Best mom between the ages of 45 and 65 whose full price ticket purchases keep the precariously balanced commercial theater industry from collapsing like the house of cards that it is, (laughs) whose taste dictates the shows that succeed, who can't understand why she is bombarded with Broadway related emails despite constantly unsubscribing from them. (laughs) And I was like... And it was it, when I was reading through that, that's the last one that, that we're going to read again. Yeah. Those are all new Tony Award categories by Busy Coy, which was published in The New Yorker last season, I believe. So basically a year ago. Okay. Because this is this would this would be Tony season. Well, yeah. If 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 we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I mean, our our latest musical would be a, a, not not only nominated, but probably you know winning Tony Award for best new musical. Our latest musical, yeah. I mean, we we would be recording. We would we would be in recording sessions oh. if this hadn't happened. I mean, it would. But also I rec- don't know about the Tonys part. Okay. But yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. It just gave me it gave me like a sad. I mean, reading through them and I mean, obviously we, we both work in theater and live entertainment and it is, it's just devastating for everyone that's what's going on here. But it, it, you know, I moved to New York and we probably moved here for pretty similar reasons. I would imagine I moved here to live my life as a, as a gay man and make and see and learn about theater in the theater capital of the world and not being able, not knowing that we will not be seeing live theater for months is, is, is just very depressing. In addition to obviously all of the real life impact that it has on the thousands upon thousands of people who are out of work as a result of this specifically, um, in theater. So, and then that was sort of cemented by getting the email yesterday. Did you get the email also about Shetler studios closing? No, you texted me though. Yeah, I probably because when we had reserved there, I think I had always used my email yeah. or my name, but the fact that Shetler Studios, which was a I mean, I don't even know how long they've been there, but for decades and they have announced that they will not be coming back. So, Yeah, it kind of makes me feel guilty now about always calling them Shetler Studios. You did. You always. I mean, I mean, it was you just know. like an easy, cheap joke. Uh, I think it was because there was the one studio that was like um, on the in the pen, the 
the lovingly named, the optimistically named penthouse, the the higher level of uh, uh, vocal studios. Uh, there was like a really small, we were like packed in a really small like vocal studio, like auditioning some people or something. And um, yeah, I was calling a shitler because like you could, there was a window right there, which sounds fancy. But like when you looked out the window, it was just the roof of another building and it was a dumpster like right next to the, right yeah. next to the window. Yeah. So I was like, you know. But then on that same floor was, yeah. remember that like magically large yeah. studio where we did that first bloom reading? Totally. That was, like, was like, beautiful like, where, had like where a baby grand and where I was know, this studio yeah i know i know i know it was all but, over the map but yeah and also like you know uh, rehearsal studios in new york i mean like there would always be there's always somebody like squelting next door like you know you're like you can barely hear what's going on in your own studio it's just like such a shit show yeah well, Ugh, I miss it. I, I miss know. that. I, I mean, how long is it going to be before we even do that again? All right. Like all, all that right. stuff that makes you crazy. I'm just like, oh, I want to be that annoyed again. Um, well, but we're going to talk about, we, actually, I think you're going to talk about, because last time you started off with a yeah. musical you loved, yeah. right? Yeah. And I followed up with a musical I hated. So mm-hmm. it's your turn to oh, start off with a musical you hate. I can't wait to hear okay. what this is. I don't think this is going to be controversial for you. Um, and I'm feeling like I have a lot of hate in my heart today. So, Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good, 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 good. That's going to be great for this. The musical that I hate is Evita. Oh, I fucking hate, hate Avita. Like I've, we have been very like, you know, good musical theater writers up until this point being like, we don't really hate anything. We appreciate the effort. No, I fucking hate Avita. So Avita is a musical with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber and lyrics and book by Tim Rice. I also feel like I need to redeem myself for having spoken about how much I love Jesus Christ Superstar. So that was another reason this was selected. Um, Anyway, it concentrates on the life of Argentine political leader Eva Perón, the second wife of Argentine President Juan Perón. The story follows Evita's early life, rise to power, charity work, and eventual death. Um, The musical began as a rock opera concept album released in 1976. Its success led to productions in London's West End in 1978, winning the Olivier Award for Best Musical, I don't fucking know how, and on Broadway a year later, where it was the first British musical to receive the Tony Award for Best Musical. So, that's that's the gist. Um, where do I start here? Um... This was the first musical uh, that Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice wrote after Jesus Christ Superstar. Like he did another sort of thing in between, but like as far as their collaboration, it was the next piece they worked on. Um, and f- to me, it kind of feels like they were like floundering around for an idea and then just like begrudgingly settled on this. It just like seems like some sort of homework assignment to me. Like they were like, hey, Jesus Christ Superstar was successful. People seem to like it. Why don't why don't we like maybe try to like use that as a model and come up with an like, you know, come up with like something similar. Um so, you know, similar to Superstar, it's sung through. Like I said before, it, it also started as a concept album. 
Um, there's also a central protagonist who's like controversial, although, you know, unlike someone who's claiming to be the son of God in her case, she was this social climber model, radio star and actress who, you know, was sort of widely accused of sleeping her way into power. Um, her charity work was controversial with the with the possibility existing there of money laundering. Um, she was considered a Nazi sympathizer by many. Uh, actually, when the sh show first came out, many people still like remembered who the Peronistas were. Um, they were fascists. A lot of Nazis found safe haven in Argentina after World War II. So like it was it was this was like the show was like pretty controversial when it came out. But that's like that's not the reason that I fucking hate this music musical. You know, I'm like, you know, I actually like am into things that are controversial. Um, also similar to Superstar, there's like a sort of a critical narrator, but um Unlike Judas, who, you know, we've talked about, who and is obviously a like a central part of the action, we have Che, who's in this musical just like a member of the public. Um, however, he isn't like part of the actual action. He's not an actual human being that existed in her in her life. He's just this device that sort of lurks about the stage and tells us what's going on in the country, how she's perceived at any given moment of time, and he just sort of comments on the action and like on occasion she'll oddly interact with him. Um, I feel like this is sort of breaking that you know often said in cardinal role of don't don't tell us, show us. Um, and it makes for like a really boring plot where nothing ever seems to like actually happen in the scenes. Um, there's another, oh, sorry. It feels like it's you a, want to say something well, here. It's, it's so, it's so funny because I, um, I, this is actually on my list. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I but, was like, I don't think you're going to disagree with me on this one. But I, but I, well, I, I want to, I want you to finish talking first yeah. because I, I, I'll, yeah. You okay. Go um, there's another like I feel like critical difference here between this and Jesus Christ Superstar, um, where in that piece the action happens during like a really condensed period of time. The scope of time here is, is much longer. Um, the action takes place from around 1934, when Ava was 15, until her death in 1952 at the age of 33. Um, I feel like this sort of bio musical is really hard to achieve i mean they definitely weren't like uh lin, Ma lin manuel miranda and, and hamilton here uh i mean it just which even there like i i maybe have some opinions but anyway i feel like it's just really hard to do because you you risk glossing just glossing over milestones um and sort of never really feeling for the characters and combined with the effect of the um, of the music, which I'll get into. Um, it just feels like a, just like a long fucking like book report, like time just kind of passes, like both in the action of the story, if you could even like say it has a story and also just like watching the musical. It's just, to me, it's just like an endless blur. Um, which is funny because I'm apparently not, I'm not alone in this feeling when I was, when I was actually reading up a little bit more on this, I, I saw the original New York times review of the, of the Broadway production. And um, Walter Kerr said this, which I think is, is spot on. 
This is his quote from the, the original New York Times review. It is rather like reading endless footnotes from which the text has disappeared, and it puts us into the, <laughs> into the kind of emotional limbo we inhabit when we're just back from the dentist, but the Novocaine hasn't worn off yet. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, well, he said a lot better so, than I am. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What is your, before you talk about the music, yeah. what is your ex- personal experience of this musical? When did you first yeah. see it? Have you seen it more than once, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So I first listened to the show via CD. I, I keep bringing this up, but yeah, it was definitely like my junior high school years when I like discovered musical theater and like just like went fucking like all in. Um, I listened to the CD. I didn't really like get the music, honestly. It wasn't like a strong sense of hatred. It was just more like baffling to me. Um I've also mentioned on this podcast, I just can't with Mandy Patinkin. And so like, he's on the original recording. Um, oh, yeah. I he's think Jay, I that. Oh my you know, Cause he really reads as Latin American. Um, so I thought, um, yeah, I thought his voice was totally obnoxious. And, you know, even though, you know, I adore Patty Lapone, just when you listen to this in, in isolation, I mean, this was before I even really had any understanding of Patty Lapone. I just thought she was, it was really screechy. I couldn't understand why she was screaming all the time. Um, so that was like my first experience with it. But then, so then I saw the show on stage um, in Indiana in the mid 1990s. There was it was part of a I had like booked a subscription series, um, which also included Marie Osmond in The Sound of Music as Marie. Of course it did. <laughs> which actually yeah. was like kind of not so bad. Like it was actually pretty good, like surprisingly good. Um, but yeah, so I like and in like going to go see the show, I didn't like yeah, I'd like heard the music and I wasn't really into it, but I was still kind of, you know, jazzed to see it cuz like any sort of professional theater at that time I was I was excited about. But um like the first act, <laughs> I was like what? It was like totally disjointed, just dramatically inert. Um and actually, this is, I, I always tell this story, even to this day. Like, so the entire first act happens. And I was there with a couple friends who we had bought this subscription series. And this one girl who, she wasn't really even into musicals that much. But so she, like, didn't even know anything about, about Evita or, like, what it was about. So as soon as, like, the curtain comes down at the end of the first act, she turns to me and she just goes, is this in English? <laughs> and I like burst out laughing because I'm like, okay, that just like she literally had no idea what was going on at any time. <laughs> Correct. Because it's, it was such a shit show. Um, and then also like in act two after her big, which I'll get into this later, but after her big, like, don't cry for me, Argentina moment, you know, her arms are outstretched and the song ends. And it was like, the audience was basically like silent. Like really, like a smattering of applause, literally in Indiana, like suburbs in the mid 1990s. Like that can, that tells you how bad it was when it was like was the production bad it It was was the horrible you know you know when you're like just seeing something really bad and you feel this like palpable just like reaction from the audience of just like anger like this is just like terrible 
that that's what it was and i often cite that particular production as the worst piece of theater i've ever seen on stage in my entire life including community theater and regional productions like it was that bad (laughs) wow so that was like my second like try with this musical the third was the um 1996 film version starring madonna of course Uh, like uh, we could do an entire episode on that and much could be said about that um and i have to say like i was excited for the movie it was during madonna's you know very lengthy imperial period yes (laughs) yes yes. Uh, she and she could pretty much do no wrong to me and you know i remember thinking like in the lead up like you know madonna's gonna be the person that makes me like evita like she's gonna be the person so i was again i like went in excited and I thought the movie was just like a horrible, exhausting slog. Um, I I have vague memories of being mildly entertained during uh, Buenos Aires. I feel like maybe she danced and maybe that's why I... uh, Scott McLean and I saw that maybe with Darren at the Lincoln Center IMAX theater. Like it was like midnight on the night of its release. Yeah. That was my introduction to Evita. That was the first time I had ever seen Well, that's still, I would argue, a better introduction than the mid-1990s touring production that people didn't know was in English after sitting through an entire (laughs) first act of it. (laughs) I actually also distinctly remembered when I saw the movie turning to a friend of mine that, uh, that I went to see with it and like near the end just saying to my friend, why won't she just die already like it was just fucking endless to me like oh oh my god i just can't i just can't i just can't i just can't um okay what else i guess okay yeah so i've kind of like i read you the review of the new york times uh article um yeah i have to say if like as i sort of scanned through the score the only moment i was like do i ever care do i ever care in this show and the the only thing i could possibly come up with is there's this song another suitcase and another hall do you know that song of course so it's sung like sort of like during ava's climb to the top um and it happens right after she dismisses perone's mistress um it's sung by the mist the mistress whose character is only known by the title perone's mistress it's totally a minor moment of the book. It could probably be cut without notice. Doesn't even feel like it belongs in the show, which which is why it kind of makes sense to me. Like she's the only person that even comes across remotely as human in this entire musical. Um, yeah, but that's it's, it. That's well, it. And for you me. and you know that that it is such a strange moment because it yeah it's like this character that exists for like two seconds and it's this gorgeous song I love that song I actually I like I really this like musical much more than you do oh, surprisingly okay. um, even though it was on my hate list but okay. I because. Uh, you know, and you remember, right, that Madonna, that was one of her things. She said, the only way I'll do the movie is if I can also sing that song. So they made that uh, song. Yes, which is Ava's so song. weird. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, if she's, you know, going through, like, rotating through all of these men to kind of keep her alive, then it kind of makes sense. And it does feel like. Yeah, I like- guess I meant weird that, wow, she was such a bitch about that entire movie. I all the same I hate it Wouldn't you 
she was <laughs> I, I mean, mean i feel like you know i understand how that song could make sense for a character it was more just like i mean i mean she was like a monster i feel yeah. like sort of like making that film yeah. happen and she yeah. was just like bulldozed her way into that but you have to admit that she sounds better on that vocally than probably anything else she's ever yeah done. i mean i'd say that's a relative statement but <laughs> So but yes, I, if you're comparing herself to herself, then yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I saw the movie. That was my okay. introduction. And I, I, yeah, I, I, I could take it or leave it. I mean, it was a fun experience. It was like whenever you said that was, mm-hmm. what year was that? 96? Uh, 96, yeah. So it was 96. I had been to, I think, was that the first time I was ever in New York? I can't even remember now. Um, I'm like, and that's so, how you chose to spend your time? Well, Scott McLean was, of course, extremely excited about uh, seeing the film. And we loved Madonna. We, you know, we worshipped Madonna in college, of course. And but then I didn't see it again. And I listened to I actually did listen to to several songs Hmm. from that soundtrack, which includes the one you mentioned. Of course, Buenos Aires. From the movie soundtrack. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Buenos Aires. Um, of course, don't cry for me, Argentina. There was a there were dance remixes in all the clubs during that period. <laughs> oh I my mean, god! I'm oh. very happy to have like oh, still you... been in I guess yeah high school and have missed out on that. <laughs> you would have been just as happy on the floor of the Roxy. I can guarantee oh, you. I don't know about that. When those dance remixes <laughs> came out. Do they have a dance remix of You Must Love Me? Of course they did. Of course they did. Garbage. And I remember... The gays will literally dance to anything. Like, we, I used to have a joke with... uh, you know, uh, that sort of Roxy crowd about about how like the gays will dance to anything. Because at one point there was like that Kelly Clarkson like song that 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 weepy ballad from or um, uh, about like her parents getting divorced, and they did like this big gay dance remix of it, and people would just be like, "Woo!" And I would be like, "This is a song about her parents' divorce," and how shattered she feels and the gays are just like oh god yeah yeah it's ridiculous oh you must love me i remember when she was singing that was going (laughs) to sing that on the oscars that year and i was like this is going to be the time that madonna's going to show everyone how fucking amazing she can be and she was dreadful as we all remember yeah I mean, um, I have some more bitching to do, though. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Can I? Okay. I just want to tell you my two other things, though. Because yes, so then please. I saw John and I saw a production 
a Broadway production. We went to see oh. a Broadway production because I was like, I've never seen it on stage. We have to go see it. Ricky Martin played yes. Shay. Okay, this is perfect because I'm only focusing on the original Broadway production and have taught him in my preparation have glossed over the movie and that particular Broadway production, which I did not see. So I'm very happy for you to fill in the blanks here. Okay, so I saw the production. We left very much with the same feeling after having seen the movie. We were like, well, you know, I was glad we saw that on stage. Um, Ricky Martin was fine, but, you know, Mm -hmm. that is, I I agree with you. It's a fucking weird role. I mean, isn't he also, like, sort of inspired by Che Guevara, like the the Cuban revolutionary? Maybe. I mean, that's what I always thought, but then I feel like I'm unclear about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a. It, I agree with you completely about how weird the storytelling is. And so we left there, and we were like, eh, you know, whatever. I mean, um, it was the first time I think uh, in a major production where the role of Evita was actually played by someone uh, of Latin or Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading about that and appreciating that, and that making me want to see it but having had such abysmal experiences with the show before i was just like i can't do it and unfortunately she wasn't that great oh that's unfortunately because i'm like but, if you're gonna do that then like they you they it has to be somebody who's like talent is so undeniable yeah. Yeah. And so so I have one more quick experience, mm-hmm. which this is actually the thing that made me hesitate about how much I was going to say or bring this up as a musical I hated because um, New York City Center just did this. And, you know, I was a teaching artist this past year. And so yeah. we we did a ton of work on uh, creating curriculum for for groups for this, this show. And then we got to go to the invited dress rehearsal. And the production at City Center, which was the first major production directed by a woman and also um, another production where the leading actress was, uh, I believe she was Argentinian or maybe she was, you know, she was Spanish or Latin or something, but she was certainly not like a, you know, Caucasian American. Um, And they also did this weird thing where they had two women play the role. So they had a a very like like a 14 year old play the young Ava. And I remember that that that. was pretty pointless, to be honest, because Mm. um, she 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 was only on uh, she was only Ava for like. I was going to say know, 15 minutes. Small part it of was the show. weird. It was a weird choice. But in terms of the production, it was stunning. Hmm. It was so simple. And the staging for um, Don't Cry for Me, Argentina was simply beautiful. It was really, really gorgeous. And that was something that was why I was like, God, there are some really cool things about this musical, even though I agree as a whole. It is. It's. It's just a. That's nice to hear, but I can guarantee you, I still would have hated it. You would have been impressed, though, by some moments. I promise okay. you that. I mean, but for me, like, okay, like I want to bitch about the music a little bit. Okay. Like bitch about the music. The music. It seems to shift every like thirty seconds in some way. Uh, like different characters. They sing just like a series of recycled musical themes throughout the score as a whole. It feels just totally erratic to me. Um, it's almost like Andrew Lloyd Webber just decided, I, I want to write something more serious, like like an opera. Um, like he tries his hand here at a little bit more choral work, but it's like a lot of wannabe atonal music. 
where there's times where the same lyric is like repeated over and over and over and over by the chorus. I feel like he listened to like three operas before he tried to write this show and like the end result is just like a very pale imitation. Um, I was like walking through the park the other day listening to it and it was kind of reminding me of like, I don't know. I mean, you watch the family guy, right? Yeah. 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 Um, when, do you remember the episode where they, the OJ Simpson episode where the, where the Quahog opera does the OJ Simpson opera? No, like, I don't think I've oh seen that God. one. Like it, Every single time it makes me fucking laugh out loud because it's totally over the top and affected and there's like parody of opera excess and like for some, like that is what this reminds me of. It's just like <laughs> it's like something like trying to be opera and not and not at all succeeding. My husband draws me. Nicole, I'm back from filming the third naked gun movie. Oh, horror, you have betrayed me. Hal Dowling said it would be so. Pedro, I didn't see a thing. Like, worse than that, though, like, none of the musical themes actually feel specific to the time or place. They they pretty much seem like they could exist in any show, um, particularly in particularly annoying when i was listening to to it there's these half-hearted attempts at like you know latin american music but it's just terribly executed like all of a sudden a flamenco guitar will pop in for 15 seconds during some musical passage that otherwise has like zero latin american influence on the night of the thousand stars irritates the (laughs) shit out of me i hate it so much on this night of a thousand stars, let me take you to heaven's door, where the music of love's guitars plays forevermore. In the glow of those twinkling lights, we shall love through eternity. Um, and then, and then, as I'm like listening, getting like more and more angry, listening to the score, I actually remembered because I think I mentioned it in a prior episode that I had read this Andrew Lloyd Webber like biography way back in the day. I remember he was talking about his process, and I need to like rewind and find this book and the section that I'm talking about. But keep in mind, I'm like reading this as like a like late junior high school kid. But anyway, he was talking about his process, and he w- was like t- talking about how he has this treasure trove of melodies that he comes up with, and they don't have lyrics. And like, he just has like these like, you know, catchy melodies and he basically just picks them up and inserts them in a show. And if it doesn't work in one show, he'll just try it in another show. (laughs) And so like, I remember thinking as a kid, like, that's 
that's kind of a fucking hack move. You know what I mean? Wow. Were, I mean, right. And he was like admitting to this. And I'm like, what, are, wait, what, what are you talking about? Like, you don't really care about the story or the time or the place. And it, it was actually, again, once again, reminded me of waiting for Guffman. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was all things point back to waiting yeah, for Guffman. Yeah. Uh, you, like you, you, so you'll remember like when they're in the green room before the show, uh and uh one of the cast members advises to another um if there's an empty space just fill it with a line i mean that's what i like to do even if it, even if it's from another show so like <laughs> this is andrew lloyd weber's like you know <laughs> process <laughs> oh there's just nothing intentional to me about the about the music in this show um further i feel like like this is the show where he really started leaning into like all of his bad habits that would follow him through the rest of his career. Um, we know we talked a little bit during Jesus Christ Superstar about repetition of melodies. Um, uh, I, I, this happens here, but it's like sung by different characters and not done in any sort of intelligent fashion. You know, again, there's thing there, there's repetition that works to me. Um, you know, there's Richard Wagner and opera, um, who has light motifs and they're like these musical themes that are specific to different characters and they get repeated throughout the larger work. Like that's, that's one way to do repetition. Uh, another good use of repetition is if like a different character sings a melody previously sung by another character but you know it resonates due to the story and the moment and somehow it like harkens back and you experience it anew like that none of that happens here it's like totally lazy and haphazard uh, and like further a lot of the times when you're listening to the score the music and lyrics don't even they don't even seem to fit together in a way that's natural for the singers. It's just like, which I feel like some of our early work, there was some like, there was some of that like music lyric clunkiness. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> oh God. You know, like, you know, when you're singing something, if it feels natural and there's a lot of that in the score where I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't feel natural. Um, uh, also like in terms of Andrew Lloyd Webber bad habits um, I feel like you know he often has this tendency to like hang an entire show on a particular song or a particular melody I feel like that you know is here to some extent you know you have this don't cry for me Argentina um, like similar to memory and cats it's kind of like hinted at earlier throughout right. the show oh, definitely. they kind of tease the audience with yeah. it yeah just like ugh, it's just like so cynical and, and until it you know it finally like springs forth like in full form a little later in the show um but imagine how imagine how satisfying that would have been like the first time you saw it like i felt no, like i i told you oh, nobody clapped the first time i saw it it was that bad no no like, no nobody. i mean well i mean conceptually obviously oh, i don't mean no. your specific situation no because the production no. was bad i mean still no i mean i don't like that song like the song has a memorable chorus, but I feel like that's its only asset. And like, I mean, musically, like the chorus, uh, the verses are not that strong. I don't feel like in the lyrics, I think are total nonsense. So the actual scene where it exists, like it happens near the beginning of act two after, uh, Perón is elected president. Um, and she speaks from the balcony of the presidential palace to her adoring supporters when you first hear the song, like your ears, it sounds really important. 
emotional but like when you look at the lyrics it's completely man meandering and doesn't really say anything at all like here here's just like here's here's a little snippet of the lyrics you won't believe me all you will see is a girl you once knew although she's dressed up to the nines at sixes and sevens with you i had to let it happen i had to change couldn't stay all my life down at heel looking out of the window staying out of the sun so I chose freedom, running around, trying everything new, but nothing impressed me at all. I no. never expected it to. Don't You're cry for me, Argentina. The truth is I never left you. All through my wild days, my mad existence, I kept my promise. Don't keep your distance. Like literally, what the fuck is she talking about? It's it, nonsense. It is. It is. It is nonsense. It is just like <laughs> word jumble. Like it doesn't mean anything. But I'm sure in what year was this? 78. Someone was like, wow, this is really fascinating it somewhere. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It makes me crazy. I hate this song so much. And it's like the oh. benchmark, like centerpiece of this like garbage, horrible show. See, so, I think that I just love it. Like it's, but that's the thing. It's like a guilty pleasure. And maybe I do well, have like flashbacks to, yeah. you know, Roxy dance floor. I was going to say, well, it's like me and gypsy you know, i told you i was like I have, yeah. maybe you have a yeah. surface relationship with that song but it's garbage so so the last thing i want to talk about is patty lapone the last thing i want to talk about is patty lapone your great. favorite your favorite Can't theater actress of all time to talk about patty i mean LuPone. it must make you at least happy that i'm trashing the show that she's known for um this was but, her this was the big thing, right? This was yeah, like her this first this is what she big won her first thing. Tony Award yeah, for. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um but <laughs> but you know, I don't feel bad about trashing it because it's worth mentioning that Patty herself has some unkind words, as she often does, um, despite having won a Tony Award for her performance in this show. Um you probably know she generally has very little good to say about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, or really had, anything. Well, I mean, well, that's I don't know the thing. That's fair, but, but she has had this long standing axe to grind with him, you know, ever since like the Sunset Boulevard fiasco and everything. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So you you know this, but, you know, all three of our listeners don't. My My first job out of college. Um, was at a was at a nonprofit musical theater company, uh, which was located downtown, across from the public theater, right uh, next to Blue Man Group. Right next to Blue Man Group, uh, coincidentally enough. Um, so, as part of our programming, we would like bring in Broadway luminaries, like writers, directors, actors, etc., to talk about their work. Uh, we definitely brought in a handful of divas. Um, Oh God, like Betty Buckley. There were like a bunch of people like Elaine Stritch. Uh, oh, wow. So yeah, I'm sure there's others I'm, for, I'm forgetting, but Patty LaPone. So Patty was one of them and I was super excited like about her coming. And obviously like her brand is what you see is what you get. So <laughs> the moderator like had not yet brought up Andrew Lloyd Webber, but did ask some innocuous question about Andrew Lloyd Webber and her opening remark, like response without a missing beat without missing a beat whatsoever was Andrew Lloyd Webber is a megalomaniac that smells of rancid grapes. Like it was <laughs> like, I burst out laughing so hard. It was obviously like super rehearsed. She's probably said that like 4,000 right, times right, in, her, right. in her life, but it was like clearly her go-to insult. 
And I've never forgotten it. I don't feel bad about telling this story because like, obviously she wants people to know that she can't stand Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I'm pretty sure that that was like recorded. Um, also, well, didn't I, she even, even when, when, didn't she recently perform on the Grammys and sang uh, Don't Cry For Me Argentina? And it, there was like a whole thing about yeah, it because they you're knew. Right. I don't totally remember the logistics not the logistics, but the details of that performance. But yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there was some some sort of there was anticipation. Like a culpa. There was something of, about that. Of like what's going to happen you're because right. they haven't spoken in totally. years. Yes, you know, yes, something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, a couple of years ago she put out a biography, which of course I devoured, um, which I'm sure you did not read. <laughs> haven't haven't read that one, no. <laughs> Um, but no, she amusingly refers to the pool at her home in Connecticut as the Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Swimming Pool because she paid for it with her Sunset Boulevard settlement money. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh wow. my god! Yeah. So anyway, but back to Evita. I love this in the biography. She said she said this of the score, um, sort of recalling when she first when she first heard the music. As I listened to it, all I could think was that this guy, Andrew Lloyd Webber, hated women. The high notes in the score, which the character of, of Evita sits on all night long, are placed in the passaggio or the passage. The passaggio are the weakest notes to produce as the voice passes from chest to head. And she had all sorts of vocal problems leading up to the opening, which she goes to in, in depth in the biography. Um, and like, not many people can sing this role because at the end of the day, it's like just really bad vocal writing. Um, yeah, I wow. mean, it's kind of hard to follow the star of your show, trashing your show, but I'm yeah. going to kind of leave it at that. In yeah. summary to me, Evita is completely grating to listen to. It's an utterly empty dramatic experience. And I kind of feel like it was just like some cynical exercise to capitalize on the earlier success of Jesus Christ Superstar. Like, that's it. That's it. I hate the show. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, I told you I was feeling some venom today. You really like, I mean, again, I don't hate it anywhere near as much as what, as what you do, but that's pretty recent. It really was because of working on it, um, at New York city center and, and seeing that production that I was, that, that I mellowed slightly, I would say mm. slightly not, you know, not not incredibly. It was still on my list, but I realized that I had a lot more affection for it than I thought I did. I mean, I think I I think I hate this show so much too because like because like I said at the sort of the top of this, like the fact that it was a controversial character it was not off putting to me. In fact, like uh, you know, I I like that. Yeah. So of course, I of feel course. like I feel like there could have been like an interesting, cool musical here that I would have liked. And, um, and it just, no, it just like really fell flat for me. I, I agree. I mean, she's a, she's a fascinating character and, but like, actually like I, I want to know more about her. I want yeah. to see her. I want to see like her interact as a human being. I don't want this. Like, I don't need this character of like Che, like lurking about explaining what's going on, telling me like what the public feels about her. Like if you're doing your fucking job, like telling, like writing a show, like we, we obviously will form our own opinions. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an inch. It's really interesting that you brought up the Hamilton comparison because it is a it's an unsuccessful history lesson, and it doesn't yeah. really teach you that much. Yeah, you know, and you don't tries. walk away yeah. knowing that much no. about her. Really, and yet it tries really hard, and it's like long, and I'm yeah. just like, how 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 did you how did you miss the mark so much? Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Say la vie, Avita. I hope okay. you never see, hear, speak. I, I I never want to say the words Avita again. Well, I think there's a pretty good chance it it will be a really <laughs> long time before you would even have the opportunity to see Avita again. Fingers so. crossed. So we'll move on. Should we put a little more love in our hearts? Let's put a little more love in our hearts. And this is funny that you that you kind of did um, you did your flip side flip side of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, I this is a little bit of a flip side as well. Um, so I knew basically nothing about this show or its source material. Um, John and Brandy saw this in London when I was doing Blue Man auditions there, like on a Wednesday matinee. I knew okay. that they both loved it. I also knew it was originally a novel by Roald Dahl, who I think is definitely oh. a genius. Yes. Um, most of the time, both of these things probably would have made me squeamish, you know, regarding like expectations. We've talked yeah, a lot yeah, about yeah. expectations. And then the show is about children. Yeah. Which we've already talked about. Neither of us totally. would say we are lovers of children. I, I was oh. start I really thought about this a lot. I was like, we have nothing against children, but as mm-hmm. with people, we tend to like children we know rather than just like all children in some, you know, generic, lovingly celebratory sense of the world way. Yeah, that's my quick qualifier always. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's like some people are just children. like, I love children. And yeah. you're like, I don't love people. So, you know, <laughs> exactly. I only like certain ones. <laughs> exactly. So it, it would it would the same would apply. But um, our dear friend David. Emmy nominated and extremely successful children's talent agent had like three of the four Matildas in the show, I think, when it opened on wow. Broadway. And so all of these things together, the pressure was on, the expectations were high, um, though I was really trying to keep that in mind when I walked into the Schubert Theater in 2013 to see the musical Matilda. Matilda, which is my favorite Roald Dahl book of all time. Really? Yeah. And I'm like... A huge Roald Dahl fan. I have multiple copies of like every book he's ever written. I have a coffee mug that's a Roald Dahl coffee mug. I had a Matilda coffee mug that I just recently broke and I'm like Aww. devastated by it. So yeah, I mean, because he's dark and weird and it's like kids' yeah. books, but it's just like, but it's like weird, dark, like themes like death and <laughs> I don't know. Like I just, I just love him. So um, I have a little bit of history. Yeah, so let's talk about Roald Dahl. That was that was the next thing, really, is Roald Dahl. He published this novel in 1988. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1916 in Wales. He's been referred to as one of the greatest storytellers for children of the 20th century. And as you mentioned, he's known for some of the most beloved and brilliant children's stories, including Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, 
the fantastic Mr. Fox and of course Matilda, but there, there are others. I, I particularly like love the fact that um, he published Matilda two years before his death at the age of 74. Mm-hmm. So he was still writing amazing shit throughout his life. He was 68 when he started writing Matilda. Oh. Um, and, you know, it might give me hope if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Uh, there was a film made, which I also have not seen, in 1996. 1996. <laughs> Where is your mind? It is a pandemic. We've been locked up too long. <laughs> there was a film made in 1996, directed by Danny DeVito and featuring Mr. DeVito, Rhea Perlman, and a couple of others I didn't know by name, but I do by face, including Embeth Davids and Pam Ferris, who has an enormous resume, including Aunt Marge in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And also Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, played an FBI agent. He did? Oh, my God, I totally don't remember that. Yeah, as I said, I neither read the book nor saw the film. Um, Wait a second. There was one other thing that I thought... Uh, well, while you while you look that up, oh. let me just say that uh, this book came out. You said in eighty eight, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was ten. This oh book came God. out like in real time. Like it wasn't like some older book that right like, it came right. out like at a time like you know I wasn't much older than Matilda, and I was like this. This book was so eye opening to me. It was just like such wonderful storytelling. You know, she's like this bookish kid, which I was at the time, and she's like sort of like you know conquers all. And like we've talked much about being like you know like misfits and and whatnot. Uh, I just this 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 story like really resonated me resonated with me, and it was just kind of cool. Like I said, that it that it came out. It was it was a new book when I experienced it. Oh, that's amazing. That's like um the the like all the Ramona books came out when I was a kid. <laughs> oh like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they would come out like when it yeah. Um so this is a little this is a little history of the of the show. Um so there was a musical musical adaptation mounted in nineteen ninety at the Redgrave Theater in Farnham and it toured the UK and received mixed reviews. That is what? obviously not the musical adaptation oh, wow. that I am talking about today. Never heard it. I never heard of that. I hadn't either. I was shocked. Um, this musical adaptation was written by Dennis Kelly with music and lyrics by Tim Minchin, who is an Australian comedian, actor, writer, musician, composer, lyricist, and director born in 1975. Um, I love this musical on some level because, as I said, just a, a quick skim on the surface, it makes no sense for me to love it. And but you just you just said all this. Um, it's a story of misfits. It's a story of a misfit kid. She's in the wrong house. She mm-hmm. has the wrong parents. Um, they she's described as unusually precocious and of incredibly high intelligence. Um, she's more or less <laughs> you know ignored by her parents and is secretly brilliant. Um, it's so. so- so basically, what? her personality is a polar opposite to Annie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's it. So we yes. can redeem ourselves saying that we yes. don't hate kids. We yes. hate stupid, cloying kids musicals. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Matilda's theme song, Naughty, which is a celebration of being different and, and, and fucking with society and fucking with people and, you know, sort of taking your power back. Not fair. It doesn't mean that you just have 
I mean, it's a very, it's very empowering. Like it's a very empowering musical as a child. Um, and then uh, the, the act two sort of false opener, which begins before the audience is safely back in their seats uh, before they, they sit down and enjoy the lush and emotional when I grow up during which of course I wept. Hmm. So it started the Royal Shakespeare Company in 2010. Um, it moved to the West End in 2011. It was the winner of seven Olivier Awards, tied with Hamilton for the most Olivier Awards for a musical still to this day. Wow. And in 2013, it uh, came to Broadway at the Schubert Theater and was the winner of five Tonys. That year, it lost Best Musical to Kinky Boots, very interestingly. Mm, yeah, I kind of remember that. I was like, I was on, I was torn on on sort of which I wanted to root for. I was rooting for Matilda, even though yeah. I think that the the score of Kinky Boots, like I listened to that yeah. probably a lot more. Uh, I, I would, I would agree that I would probably prefer the show Matilda to win, even yeah. though like I do love the score to Kinky Boots and has great songs and is like just generally a really fun show. Um. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the known songs, or at least the songs that had stuck with me, I think is Naughty, which I mentioned. The Hammer, which is sung by Miss Trunchbull, who's the world's worst principal. When I Grow Up, which I also just mentioned, which is just a stunning, stunning song in Act Two. The Smell of Rebellion and Quiet were all songs that really stuck with me. Um, I mean, this is, and talking about empowerment, like uh, from Naughty, but nobody else is going to put it right for me. Nobody but me is going to change my story. Sometimes you have to be a little bit naughty. Such a great, such a great, simple, simple lyric. And, oh, the, the, the girl that I saw, I think she was the girl in, um, uh, in that, uh, fucked up Tony Collette movie. Which um, um, which movie? The oh, first you mean one. Hereditary? Hereditary. Oh yeah, my god, I'm pretty that sure movie, that movie that, that scarred girl me for life <laughs> is was the Matilda that I saw, and she wow. was fantastic. Well, she was great in that film. She was like unnerving. Yeah, until she got her head taken off. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, so, and then from when I grow up, when I grow, <laughs> I'm still stuck Sorry. on that. I was like, oh, hope, no, I hope you've all seen that. Spoiler alert. Well, it's been out a few years by now. You yeah, know? so you have no excuse if you if you if you're not a Tony Collette beehive, part of the beehive. Like I don't know, then then I don't know. I, then we we're not friends. So. Um, I wanted to, to read another couple of lyrics from when I grow up and when I grow up, I will be smart enough to answer all the questions that you need to know the answers to before you're grown up. Ugh, I love it so much. And when I grow up, I will be strong enough to carry all the heavy things you have to haul around with you when you're a grown up. Wow. Those are so, I just, just fucking love it. We've already talked about this. Um, it just, I feel like for me, because I didn't really like being a child, mm -hmm. um, and that's why I don't think, you know, like I didn't like Annie or I don't really necessarily like 
children in musicals. Yeah. But this gave, because like I said, it's such a story of empowerment. It sort of gave me an, an opportunity to see like a different perspective of of childhood and you know the story is fairly typical it's like i said she's she's a bright little devil she's telekinetic i believe um uh and and her parents are you know they 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 don't they don't appreciate her they don't pay much attention to her but there's this woman miss honey who's her school teacher Mm -hmm. who does who has a has a real connection for her and a real affection for her um and you know everything turns out right in the end so that's uh, it it, it is a children's book you know that ultimately miss trunchbull's forced to run away i don't even remember why um matilda's horrible parents leave her with a good teacher so that she can so she can have a good life and and yeah, all of that stuff happens and, and, but you through, even though you kind of know it's all going to be okay, like you mm-hmm. still really value the journey and these incredibly beautiful moments of stage. Well, there's like major stakes and, you know, it, I, in her relationship with Miss Honey is just like so charming and, you know, cause they're both, they're both like underdogs, like both yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's like an adult child relationship and everything, but like, and it, like you said, there is this happy ending and, you know, as a 10 year, 10 year old misfit reading that, that book, you know, like, it's so cheesy to say, but it was like, you know, it was like, it's kind of like an, it, it's like an, it, it gets better type. absolutely absolutely you know yeah Yeah. i can imagine if i had discovered that book when i was young i would have yeah although you know i wasn't young when that book came out so um so what you're saying is you're older than me (laughs) i am i am saying that i am saying that one little tiny bit of trivia that i want to mention before we wrap up is for the film um the for the role of miss honey these three people were considered which i thought was fascinating Helen Hunt. Oh my god. You know that makes sense. Yeah. I don't Rosie know. O'Donnell. What? Okay. That's very strange. What the fuck? A little bit more strange. And this one uh you're going to love more Tori than... Amos. <laughs> what? Tori Amos apparently read for the role oh. of Miss Honey. Can she act? Well, I mean, again, it's sort of well, like again, when we were talking like about Cindy. Cindy yeah, it's just like, it, can we deal yeah. with Tori and make her say these words in a row? You know, like that would be kind of like what what would be needed to happen. I mean, I could like kind of see that, but she uh, she would be like Miss Honey after like taking a tab of acid. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Exactly. Like, she definitely, Tori always seems like she's on like another plane of existence that we can only ever aspire to. Oh, God. <laughs> And and like writhing on that piano, I remember when she was like on Letterman or oh, yeah. something that for the, back in the what was that ninety when Little Earthquakes came out or something. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I want to say like ninety ninety one maybe. Yeah, <sighs> that feels about right. Mm-hmm. We were all gathered around that television to watch her play Silent All These Years. I mean, oh, it was trust. mesmerizing. I, mean, I could do a dissertation on Tori Amos. I've seen her like I've probably seen her like fifteen times live. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, easily. Only once. Only once for me. I think. Um, I'm um, so happy. I feel like I don't know. I feel. I feel odd. Like we we agreed about the musicals that we hated. I know. We agreed and, about the musicals that we love. I know. I hope this wasn't disinteresting to listen to. But. I know. We didn't really have like a lot of conflict, but yeah. I mean, I mean, 
Yeah, I, that's There's so weird that time. you fucking cr- that you like read this book when it came out. That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, and I'm a Roald Dahl super fan because I mean for reasons we've already discussed. Like he writes kids books, but they're like, you know, but he treats he, it's like he treats kids as just miniature adults. Like he doesn't like play, you know, he doesn't like yeah, placate. Yeah. It's like uh, they have like they they're in, if anything they're like outside they're, they're like outsized stakes that they're that they're dealing with you know what I mean and I feel yeah. like he he really understood that's what it meant to feel like being a child like scary and the world is huge and there's like so many like horrible awful things out there and you know. Uh, but it's like, also it, but the characters prevail and there's so there's like there's like you know there's like a there's always like there's like like that inherent like strength of character message in there like these these little humans somehow somehow like just beat these outsized odds like it, it, like the witches i remember being like super obsessed with that book like did you ever see that no film? no no oh. It's another great book. You should check it out. And like the film with Angelica Houston is like very campy. She's just sort of like, she's the head witch and everything. Like it's, it's worth a watch. <laughs> I will he definitely. Get, the kid, he gets turned into a mouse, <laughs> like by the witches. Um, yeah. And then it like deals with mortality because then he gets turned like at the end, like he's a mouse, like he gets turned into a mouse and like, he knows that now his life expectancy is like, you know, this big and like, but like is somehow okay with it. Like it, again, it's just like, I could do, I could talk for hours about Roald Dahl and how much, how much I love him. And uh, we, I mean, this is actually perfect for this moment because when I was listening to, I mean, what you're talking about is just like the empowerment, the, the optimism, the survival, like that's the moment that so many of us are in right now um, mm-hmm. that it, it feels insurmountable. And when I was listening to some of the Matilda uh, score, which I had not listened to in probably a good while, even though I remember after seeing it, and by the way, I did see it twice. We also took Manya when she came to visit from Berlin. Um, and she was, she's also like a huge Roald Dahl fan. And I listened to that quite a lot. I mean, m- more than uh, again, like, second to to kinky boots in terms of the actual like number of times i listened to it but yeah. quite a lot for a cast recording yes yeah. it was it was it's uh it's just so good and and so take so a I, listen take a listen to matilda if you're feeling a little down listen to naughty listen to when i grow up and even if you already are like maybe there's still hope for you <laughs> or maybe not or maybe not Maybe this at the is end of it. the day, there's no hope. Yeah. So, till next time. Till next time. Uh, you have a wonderful whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Peace out. Bye now. Hey.